Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, summer has gotten real this week, hasn't it? It is hot. Man, it is smoking out there, you know? Heat indexes are over like 110. I mean... Yeah, and I looked on the weather.com, you know, and I mean, it was like as far as you could see, it was going to be mid-90s or higher. I was like, ouch, summer came in with a vengeance. Yeah, it's not even July, which is typically when it happens in August as well. But um, exactly. I don't know if you, have you been following the College World Series at all? No, I haven't, but tell me about it. Let me give you an update. Uh, Of the eight teams in the College World Series, four of them are SEC. There you go, man. Just just saying, four of the eight are. You know, it's funny how there are some sports the SEC just dominates. They do well in, not basketball, but. um, Yeah, right. Baseball, they. And the interesting thing is they're all four from the West Conference of of the SEC. The Eastern has nothing, so. Right, the SEC does better in golf too. Quite frankly, they? I hate I to say, that, yeah. yeah, they are. I mean, yeah. you're, you know, Carolina's pretty good. Has done well, Although yeah. we have one good player that's that's really <clears throat> ranked really well in college golf. But you know, but back to the mainstream sports. I mean, what do we have going on now? I mean, we got <laughs> the golf tournament. We got <clears throat> we got the LIV tour. Yeah. yeah, and the PGA tour are fighting. You yeah, know, they've lost some big names. They've lost some big names. I think Jay Monahan with the PGA tour has got a real problem on his hands. Yeah. you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Because good grief, I mean, there's a lot of money they're throwing at them in LIV. So there'll be some shakeups there. It'll be interesting to see no how doubt. that plans out. <clears throat> Then what do we got with basketball? We yeah, got the, we, uh, Golden State's up three to two. Okay. So, um, yeah, over Boston, uh, maybe a couple of basketball fans out there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's busy. I mean, we're yeah, we not football things. season yet, but it's not getting yet. close. Yeah, we got some things going on. It's <clears throat> yeah. good. Speaking of having some things going on, uh, boy, there's a little bit going on in the stock market recently. I, I've heard there's a little volatility. <laughs> there's been a little volatility. So we are definitely going to talk about that, right? We're going to start off talking about what is it, the seven-step plan to tackle a bear market? Yeah, we've covered some of this in, in past shows, but just a, a different way of looking at uh, the bear market. Um, you know, bear markets happen, I and mean, we're going to cover some of the historical nature of this. The reasons are always different, but uh, there are things that you can do during this time frame to actually turn this into a positive event. I know it doesn't feel like that, but, you know, long-term, uh, these things typically work out. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great topic. And then we're going to follow up with the five surprises that could derail your retirement. Um, Yeah, when it gets to retirement, you know, there's some things you got to look out for. um, And, you know, there's some potholes you can fall into. So we're going to talk about those and and how to avoid them. Um, Key topic. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and Dave Ramsey, Smart Investor Pro with over 27 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 30 years. Yeah, and we're uh, excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday, um, so check us out there on our website. Yeah, website's moneymd.net. We have a, a link to the podcast, and I'm, I'm looking at our sheet here, Steve, and we've done, gosh, this is our 438th episode of the podcast. It's a lot. Grief. Really? Yeah, that's, been a doing lot this. Of, that's a lot of shows. We've been doing this for a couple of years, it's yeah. It's been a minute. You know, I was, <laughs> I was talking to a, a client this last week, and I, I asked him to go back and listen to the, to the podcast during the pandemic. Uh, just yeah. interesting to go back and look at history a little bit and 
you know, it kind is. of reflect a little bit. But uh, great, great information out there. We cover a lot of topics, long-term care, you know, kids and money, you name it. We've, we've talked about it. So that's it, a, it's a good resource. Yeah, there's a lot out there on it. And uh, also a lot on our website. So do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can send us questions. We'd love to hear from you. And um, but we're going to start off here, John, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this uh, fact is is interesting, and uh, you know, obviously, you start off with a disclaimer: past performance uh, certainly does not guarantee future results. So you you can't make decisions based on this, but it is something that we look at. Um, the last forty years, there's been negative years in the market, um, seven negative years, and um, in every case except for one, the next year was positive. So. Gosh, if you and that's a diversified portfolio. So, right. If you look at um, if you're not diversified, then those those aren't the stats for that. Um, particularly, look at the S and P 500 index. There were three negative years in a row, 2000, 2001, exactly. 2002. But if you were diversified, was there was one. one. That's right. right. So, you know, if you're if you know markets are down this year, it doesn't guarantee that 2023 is going to be up. We don't even know how this year is going to end up. But um, gosh, if you can do some things now. Uh, in, in anticipation of the markets recovering, which they, they always have, uh, we just don't know when, um, then it can actually turn a negative into a positive, uh, you know, going forward. Yeah, diversification is so key when it comes to bear markets and recovery part of the process. You know, it doesn't always protect you on the downside, um, it, but it it does help usually. Mm -hmm. Um but it certainly helps usually in the recovery part of the process because you don't know which asset class is going to be the big recovery asset class. So you got to be well positioned and diversified so that whenever things do start to recover, you're on that train and you know, you don't, it doesn't leave the station without you. Yep. <clears throat> you know, so it's a key. So good fact of the week. All right. And that leads us up here to our first topic and that is the seven step plan to tackle a bear market. Yeah, this is from uh, Morningstar, a recent article by Tom uh, Laricella. And um, yeah, bear markets, you know, good time to look under the hood of the portfolio, your financial plan. Um, you know, one of the, the common pieces of advice that you hear is, um, you know, during a big sell-off is to hang tight and don't panic. Um, but that doesn't mean you should close your eyes and ignore what's happening to the portfolio. I mean, Right now, I mean, stocks are officially in a bear market. <clears throat> if you look at the S&P 500, and certainly the NASDAQ has been there for a while. Uh, bonds have been challenging if you're in intermediate or long term. Uh, it's been, been uh, you know, a tough market as well. So just putting your head in the sand is not, not advisable. And um, we certainly don't recommend you have a knee-jerk reactions in the down markets. Um, uh, but, it, you know, it, it can be a good time to take a look at, you know, where the portfolio is, uh, are there any you know changes that can be done? Um, any things that you can um, you know take a look at and be proactive during this downturn to make sure you're still on track for your goals as well. So you know the first step is is just kind of looking at the portfolio. Yeah, that's right. And um, you know one of the key questions you have to ask yourself is how robust is your portfolio? Um, you know, and it's something we give a lot of thought to along with diversification. Um, and it's related to diversification, but it's not exactly the same thing. Um, you know, it's thinking about your portfolio and the different environments that you can be in, like, you know, high economic growth, low economic growth, um, you know, high inflation, low inflation, all the different things that can affect the stock market and the economy. Um, you have to kind of know that you have some balance in your portfolio, and that does come through diversification, but it comes through having the right diversification, the right asset classes. Um, that history shows will help 
limit the downturn, but also will will help help with the recovery as we were just talking about. So, you know, if your entire portfolio depends on high growth and low inflation, then you don't have a robust portfolio. Yeah. Um, so being well diversified in the right asset classes can help help you to make sure you don't miss the next big move up. And that's part of being having a robust portfolio. Yeah, we see a lot of people coming in now that are just so heavy on growth and they're just getting absolutely demolished. I mean, just hammered. My goodness. Growth I mean, is we've just seen getting... some just decimated. Yeah. So make sure you're you're well diversified. Take a look at that. Another one is um, another, you know, step here is to look for buying opportunities. The Warren Buffett maxim should apply, you know, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And as a general rule, rule if you care about the price you're paying for stocks and, and so forth, that when you have a modest, modest decline, um, you know, you can take a look at it. But when there's a significant sell-off like we've seen, um, you know, Buffett thinks it's a buying opportunity, right? I mean, you yeah, know, when buy right. low, sell high. So exactly. when it comes to stocks, you know, especially to the extent that the um, the companies are good and, and relatively healthy, and when you have a mutual fund, uh, you own hundreds and, you know, thousands of different stocks. So when we start to see a sell-off like this, you know, we're getting interested and maybe taking advantage of this opportunity instead of feeling like a victim associated with it. So, you know, I think this is a narrative that people, you know, understand well, but whether or not they actually act on that is, is different. We, we do see a lot of fear out there right now. And um, again, you know, if you're invested in the market, you believe that it's going to go up more than it's going to go down. So right. don't be a victim here. You can take some proactive steps. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, the next thing you have to ask yourself is, is do you buy the dip or do you, you have a, a solid plan, a disciplined plan for your investments? That's really the key here. Um, you know, it's important to distinguish between these mantras that you hear out there or the hashtags that seem to float around nowadays about maybe buying the dip. Um, you know, um, there's this sense of this trampoline, like the market's going to fall hard and then you know, whatever fell hard, if you bought, is going to somehow, you know, immediately bounce back. Um, people have been thinking that a lot about cryptocurrencies here in the past year, haven't <laughs> yeah. they, John? And yeah. now they're it's, starting to lose faith a little bit in that 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 buy the dip. That ball's you know, a little flat. <laughs> that ball's, that ball's little, not bouncing. It's not bouncing. So, yeah, I mean, you, you have to distinguish between that. So, you know, it, it's this instant gratification thing doesn't always work out. So, of course... You know, not too many people are, are feeling like they need to buy the dip right now. Um, you know, people are, there's a little more fear out there. But the key is you got to have a disciplined plan that works in all all markets, you know, works long term and is not just based on some feeling of let's go buy the dip because it's getting ready to bounce. Yeah. And so one way to, to do that, that, you know, is to do dollar cost averaging, right? Well, that's where you put money in on a monthly basis. And when something's down, um, you buy more of that because it's down. You buy more shares. Um, another discipline strategy is, um, you know, rebalancing, <clears throat> and we do that quarterly. We look and see if there's any adjustments that need to be made. So, you know, you take the emotions out of um, the process a little bit. I mean, it's hard when you look at statements. The, you know, the 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 markets are down, and and most people's accounts are typically down at this point. But there are some things that you can do um, to uh, to be proactive and. Whether you're buying the dip is is one thing, but if you have a, a process, every month you're putting money in, every quarter you're doing rebalancing, it kind of takes the emotion out a little bit, and you just kind of continue to do it, and historically, that's worked out very well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. And, um, you know, another one is don't buy um, through the rearview mirror. 
you know, I mean, down markets, they don't all look the same and up markets don't all look the same either. So, I mean, stocks that have been favored by the market, they won't necessarily be the ones favored anymore whenever things start to recover. So you don't necessarily want to assume that just because, you know, just because there's a dip, then you get back in that it's going to be exactly the same way it used to be. Markets do change. And, you know, that's a big reason for diversification. Um, you know, if you think back, you know, in the 2000s, early 2000s, I mean, growth and technology were king going into that. But then they didn't, they were out of favor for a very long time and didn't recover like, like value stocks or like small stocks. So you have to be diversified. Um, you don't want to just buy through the rearview mirror thinking that the same old things are mm -hmm. going to work again. Yeah, that's right. Uh, number five here is, is check your uh, expectations. I mean, we're not in a recession yet. I know there's a lot of talk of that. And uh, this isn't a global financial crisis at this point. So, you know, this is a shifting market environment. Um, you know, we've had benign inflation. Um, you know, and now we have pretty, pretty big inflation. There's also a change in monetary policy as well. So, you know, the, the three years, 2019, 20 and 21, the markets were up, you know, 30 to 40%. Um, and so having a, a down year at this point, quite frankly, is not unusual. It, it happens. The reasons are always different, but, you know, expectation wise, you know, having a, a 20 to 25% return every year is, is not realistic, right? Exactly. <clears throat> it is not. Um, and then recognize as well, the next one here is bonds still have value. Um, you know, when your bond portfolios are losing meaningful amounts of money, you know, at the same time your stocks are, it really is difficult. Um, and it's painful to see, you know, and, you know, I don't know if investors fully expected it, but, <clears throat> you know, even though you knew the math, that the rates could still work going to start to rise and bonds were, were probably going to sell off. Um, <clears throat> but when you see, you know, bonds down, you know, in, in high single digits. I mean, it is very painful to see, and it's really hard to understand the value of a multi-asset portfolio in that environment. Um, <clears throat> but if you're well positioned in bonds, then they tend to add a lot of stability and, and they do recover fast when rates stabilize, um, is what history has shown if you're in the right type of bonds. So, you know, if you're to hit a recession, I mean, there's a chance that treasuries, um, would be a safe haven as well. Um, so, you know, if you, if you, they still have a very significant role in your portfolio. So don't get duped into thinking you just need to all be in cash or have half your portfolio in cash or some number like that. Um, you got to be diversified and that includes having bonds in your portfolio. Yeah. And the, and the last item here is, is you, you don't have to guess right on this. You need to be diversified. And that's kind of a theme coming throughout here to have a portfolio to meet your financial goals, which is really what I think people stress about a little bit is, am I going to be able to retire? Um, you don't have to predict, you know, the economy or what you can be invested in. Um, you have to be willing to say, um, you know, I, I don't know which sector to be in, so I'm going to be in all of them. And, um, you know, you want to make sure that that diversification is built into your, your plan. When we do retirement plans, we build in negative years. So it's, it's part of the process is expected. Um, so, you know, be proactive. Don't, don't put your, put your head under, you know, the cover or anything on this, you know, look and see what steps can be taken now to that'll benefit you and your, your uh, family, you know, long-term. So, uh, I know it's difficult, but, um, this can, this can turn out to be a positive and there are processes in place to handle it. Yeah. I mean, this market will recover obviously, <clears throat> um, at some point here, we don't know exactly when. And, um, you know, I, my sense is it's when the Fed stops 
yeah. getting more and more aggressive. You know, whenever inflation actually turns and the Fed's plan, you know, stabilizes, then I think the market's going to look favorable on that. Like it, it thought was happening in May. Mm -hmm. The market went yeah. up. Yeah, May know, was a good it, month. It was. I mean, the market kind of perceived that the Fed's plan was working and then, then things changed here this past week. So, you know, that's going to, the day is going to come and you just need to be diversified and you need to be well positioned um, for it and not try to time it because we don't know, <clears throat> you know, how long that's going to take. So good topic. That leads up to our, ne to our next thing. And that is the question of the week. Yeah. I had a conversation with a client uh, this last week and it, <laughs> Um, the question was, is, you know, I put some additional money in, in January cause the markets were down in January and it, his, uh, his question was, it looks like it was absorbed in the account cause my <laughs> balance hasn't changed. He's like, what happened to it? So I went back and I actually looked at the purchases, um, in his account and basically he, he, you know, bought more shares, bought more shares at a lower say. price. And so yeah. he came into the year with, uh, they came into the year with 962 shares, of this one mutual fund, um, put about 2,500 bucks into this one mutual fund and they added 189 shares. Um, and then uh, dividend reinvestment happened mm. at the end of the quarter that added another four shares. So he started off with 962 and he sits at $1,155, 55 shares. So but when the, the markets recover, the price was dropping. The right? price has <clears throat> dropped and that's why he's, he hasn't seen it. They have not seen a change on the statement. But when the prices do recover, those additional shares are really going to, you know, supercharge that account. So more right. shares were purchased. Yeah. And that process of buying more shares, reinvesting dividends, adding new money, <clears throat> rebalancing, all of that adds potential to yes. the portfolio for whenever it recovers. It starts kind of adding pressure, you know, behind the valve. And mm -hmm. when the valve's opened and, you know, and it's, it, it's time to get going again in the market, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to react faster. Um, as a result. So it's adding potential. Yeah. So focus on those shares. That share total yeah. is, is really key. So um, yeah, I told him I was going to put his question on. And uh, so hopefully he's That's, listening to it. Yeah. It's a great way of looking at it. <clears throat> I like that. <clears throat> All right. And that leads up here to our next topic. And that is the five surprises that could derail your retirement. Um, yeah. This is based on an article from Bottom Line Inc. Um, <clears throat> pretty recently, um, Robert Carlson and John, but I mean, people often have a lot of misconceptions about retirement. <clears throat> you know, some people think they're going to spend less and when they retire, a lot less when they retire. Um, oftentimes we'll hear about people that are going to downsize their house and they're going to live off the extra cash that they make. Um, you know, maybe they think Medicare is going to cover everything and there won't be any extra cost once they hit 65 for, uh, for you know, for medical care, um, you know, those assumptions do play a critical role in many of the retirement plans, but they're often wrong. You know, sometimes there are some holes in those assumptions. So here's a look at five retirement uh, surprises that can derail your retirement if you don't prepare for them properly. Yeah, one of them is uh, daily expenses can actually go up in retirement, particularly on the front end. So conventional wisdom you know, holds that day-to-day uh, -day spending drops down to about 70 to 80% of the prior level when people retire. Um, but many retirees discover that that actually increases, particularly in the early years of their retirement. A, a 2017 study by the Investment Company Institute found that more than half of taxpayers saw spending rise during the first three years after they initially claimed Social Security, which is not surprising, um, younger and going out and right. doing things. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you just got to make sure you have some extra built in on the front end. 
Yeah, I mean, whether or not your daily spending goes up or down, you know, when you re- initially retire, it generally boils down to how do you fill those hours that you used to spend working? You know, I mean, if you're mostly stay-at-home type and you work in the garden and volunteer, um, <clears throat> you know, your expenses are likely going to go down and 70, 80% of your pre-tax, your pre-retirement income is probably a good number. Um, but if you've, if you're trying to fulfill your travel dreams, you know, if you're going to hit the bucket list and you're going to eat out more often, maybe splurge on entertainment, then, you know, you're likely going to see your expenses rise when you actually retire. So the key is you have to be realistic, you know, about what you really enjoy and what you're going to do on your free time when you do retire. You know, are you happy at home or do you usually, um, you know, are usually out and about? Um, And what are your average, you know, day off expenses uh, when you do go out, um, you know, and use that information to kind of construct a realistic, you know, retirement budget, if you will. Um, you know, so if your estimate is more than you can afford, you need to search for lower cost alternatives. You know, example, maybe you want to combine, you know, movie out night with a special dinner at home, um, that costs far less than a restaurant meal. Um, you know, or a day spent at the park, strolling, reading, picnicking, Maybe just as enjoyable as a day at, you know, or a pricey, you know, weekend trip out somewhere. Um, So you just need to be uh, realistic about what your plans are in retirement. The next one here, though, is Medicare, you know, leaves retirees with kind of hefty out-of-pocket expenses. Um, There is is certainly that, that potential. You know, if you ask someone who isn't retired yet about Medicare, they usually think that it covers... It, all the health care costs for people 65 and over. Um, they don't really realize that there is a significant cost to it, but people already on Medicare know the truth. I mean, Medicare covers only a portion of health care related costs. It does cover the majority, but there's still some significant holes in it. And, you know, there are coverage gaps um, that are deductibles, you know, there, there are premiums, um, and that leaves a typical Medicare recipient with something like $5,500 in healthcare cost each year, according to the statistics. Yeah, so some of the things you can do to offset that uh, or plan for it is to sign up for a Medigap supplement plan when you enroll in the original Medicare, or you could sign up for the Medicare Advantage plan instead of the original uh, Medicare. So this Advantage plan, which is offered by private companies, it provides an alternative to the original Medicare and uh, usually has lower out-of-pocket cost as long as you stay within the, the network, the, uh, the provider network. And the average premium for Medicare Advantage enrollees was just um, about 35 bucks in 2020, but it varies from state to state and it has different co-pays. Um, but if you don't plan to be constrained by the, the provider, then a Medigap supplement uh, to the original Medicare could be a better option. Those plans, they're again sold by private companies and they do supplement the original Medicare. Um, they cover some healthcare costs that would otherwise not be covered. So it's kind of like a, it fills the gap a little bit. It's just right. an additional policy. Uh, there is an additional premium associated with it, but it can help you with some of these unexpected um, out-of-pocket uh, bills. That are yeah, because Medicare doesn't Medicare doesn't have caps on co copays um, basically, and and that's where you really need a Medigap policy. Um, because it pays 80-20, I think, on on uh, on the physician part or the hospital part. It's one of those two parts. Mm-hmm. It pays 80-20 on, and so that 20% has no cap. Yeah. You know? So if you had a $100,000 bill. It's know, a big number. It'd be a big number. So that's why you need a Medicare supplement. 
Um, but the next thing you, you want to be careful of is that your tax bill may actually rise in retirement. Um, you know, that can be a misconception. People think they're going to be in lower taxes. And, and that could certainly be true and usually is. But, you know, you're no longer earning wages, so your taxes are certainly going to fall, right? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, money withdrawn from your 401k accounts, um, IRAs, <clears throat> any kind of pre-tax money is taxed as ordinary income. And so you'll probably have to pay income taxes on most of your Social Security benefits as well if your income <clears throat> is, is, you know, kind of normal up there. Because uh, if your income's 25000 or more or 32000 for married, up to half of your benefits will be taxed. And if you're over 34000 married, um, up to 44000 um, for joint married, then 85% of your income will be taxed from Social Security. So your Social Security is going to be mostly taxed for most people. And once you're fully retired, no longer receiving earned income, you know, you're no longer going to be able to, you know, lower your tax bill by making contributions to your IRA accounts as well. So all of that kind of adds up and it, it may not, you know, result in your taxes going down. You really need to plan that out. Yeah, you really need to look on an annual basis and see what kind of tax bracket you're going to be in, what's your income. Um, you know, has it been a, a, a high tax year because maybe you sold something? Um, you know, and if it has been, you know, a high bracket year this year, then maybe you should pull money from the Roth IRAs. Or if you're in a low bracket, maybe you should pull it from uh, tax deferred accounts. Um, Roth conversions are another thing to take a look at. So you got to make sure you do some planning on the income side of this. Um, yeah, you can manage your tax bill from year to year if you um, if you have a good idea of what that tax is going to be that year. You can do some planning around it. Exactly. Yep. Another surprise people have is downsizing doesn't always generate a financial windfall. Um, you know, I mean, when you're selling one property, you're buying another um, that's <clears throat> oftentimes pricier than most people realize. Then you got real estate commissions. You have you know closing costs. Um, all the things related to moving and other expenses related to the transaction that can consume as much as 10% of the house being sold. So, you know, when people downsize, they often move into properties that are smaller, but they're more desirable areas maybe. Um, you know, there's so it might not be as much of a savings as you think. So you need to be clear about the reason you're downsizing before you begin to shop for a new home. You know, if you're adding to your retirement savings is your top priority, <clears throat> then your, your housing, you need to set a housing budget accordingly. Otherwise, I mean, if you're falling in love with a smaller but pricier house or residence, you know, that undermines the reason for you downsizing in the first place. So just be careful about downsizing. We don't often see that saving a lot of money <clears throat> that, that, you know, it's a more manageable place, but it oftentimes costs as much as the house that you're selling. So be careful there. Um, and then another thing we'll mention is, you know, there, there is a rise of, of divorce um, in retirement, and that certainly can be a huge surprise financially for somebody headed to retirement. The divorce rate among 50-year-olds is more than doubled since 1990, um, <clears throat> so it's around one couple every hundred, like 1% every year. Um, even as divorce rate overall has declined. So the stress of spending more time, you know, together in post-retirement is one reason for those divorces. Some spouses will put off, you know, <clears throat> that move until, you know, the kids are grown. But the cost of, of divorcing during retirement, including, you know, lawyer fees and, you know, the financial toll of splitting everything um, is, is huge. 
So, you know, once somebody's retired, it's really too late to kind of, you know, increase the savings and to recover from that. Um, <clears throat> so after retirement, you really want to try to avoid that at all cost. And so you need to be prepared for it. Yeah. And <clears throat> obviously, um, you know, kind of if you have warning signs before you go into retirement and having counseling um, and uh, trying to figure out the relationship, I mean, the reality is, is, you know, when you have 100% and you split it in two, it's 50%. Right. Um, it's it's more, much more difficult for people to live on half of the income that they were planning on versus it being together. So, I mean, there are steps you can take as you go through your marriage. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough when people get divorced and you yeah. split everything up. It's it's not very cost effective. No, so you want to plan way ahead of time. You know, if if you see that coming down the down the road, um, but retirement, you know, truly are the golden years if you plan properly and if you don't get surprised by any of these other financial misconceptions. You know, at the beginning of your retirement, you know, and of course, most of these items will not be true for the average retiree, but any one of them can cast a whole new light on your situation. So take a fresh look at these issues before you punch the clock, you know, for the last time and head to the golf course or on that cross country sightseeing trip (laughs) in retirement. Um, Just be prepared. That's the key. All right. And that leads us up here to our last item. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these conversations we're having with folks about the market are emotional. Uh, People's emotions are, are getting to them. It's, scary. The media does a great job of, um, you know, selling fear. Uh, they sell it very, very well. Uh, there's no doubt inflation is high. We all see it at the gas pump and um, certainly going into the grocery store. But don't let your emotions take over your financial decision making. Um, you know, if you're working with us, you're in a diversified process. Um, you know, we've got planning going on. This isn't the first bear market we've been through. Uh, you know, bear markets happen and you just got to have a plan to to get through them. So, you know, some other folks to listen to on this are, you know, Dave Ramsey, Warren Buffett. Um, you know, there's some great articles out there on, on Morningstar that, that we take a look at. But just get some, before you make a, a, a rash move in some area of your financial life, um, get some advice from someone. Don't, don't just make a rash decision based on what you're seeing on headlines. Yeah, you can't <clears throat> act on impulse. You know, I mean, if you, if you do in today's market, you're probably getting out of the market. And if you do that, you are locking yourself in um, to some pretty low prices today. And and then you have to make the anxious decision of when to get back in. Yeah. And that is even more anxious than, mm-hmm. than riding it out, quite frankly. Um, and people don't realize that, you know, it gets, and, and then it ends up costing you money because you almost never, ever see a person that will get in at a lower price than when they got out. Oh yeah. yeah. They're always getting a higher price because you want things, you want to get back in when you feel better about the, market and the economy. And that doesn't happen until the market's already back up. So yeah, d- don't let your emotions rule the day when it comes to your investments. Um, do get some advice, as John mentioned. That is certainly a great <clears throat> prescription of the week. Okay. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. You can link to us there. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 